Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment, think healthcare provision during a pandemic, think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, Stuart Hodge speaks to Nick Earle, currently CEO of IoT Connectivity Specialist SI. Nick has enjoyed a nomadic career in technology. He's led transformation projects at $50 billion corporations. He's worked in startups. And as he reveals in this podcast, he once had the chance to quiz Jeff Bezos on the future of Amazon. In the interview, Nick also gives his perspective on using tech and IoT for a greater good. But first, Stuart asks him why the IoT space is currently so exciting to be a part of. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things, and your listeners will will resonate with this, hopefully. You know, as we all know, if you go back over 20 years, in the 90s, it was all about you know, the internet, you could buy your own air ticket, you could book your own hotel room. And it was, it was like, wow, look at what I can do. But what we're finding now with IoT is that we can actually interact with things, not just digital websites, physical things. And there's, there are going to be tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of physical things. And so suddenly you get all these new uh, business models that you can create a, ham- a whole new experience around what the user wants, uh, disintermediate the supply chains, and so some of the case studies that, that, that we're seeing now uh, being put up there and out for RFP are just amazing. And they contribute you know, to society. They solve problems. They disrupt business models. And it's just, a, frankly, it's a pretty cool place uh, to be in the IT industry. There's it, a lot of innovation happening. There. It's really exciting, I think, to see this potential for disruption that has been caused by the innovation in the space. Right. And that that I think is a topic that that is 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 in terms of we are the tech for good podcast. So what I'm going to ask you is how do you think that these particular innovations and 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 the disruption that we're seeing caused by said innovations can be used as a form of bettering the world? Let's yeah. say. So one of the case studies that we've got is a company that operates in Africa. Okay, they're mm-hmm. called MCOPA, M-K-O-P-A. Yeah. What they did is they started off as a solar energy company and they started saying, look, there's millions of people in Africa who are off the grid and um, we'll give them a, a, a solar panel and a battery and they can actually collect uh, uh, power from the sun and power mobile devices through a USB port on the battery. Mobile TV, sorry, a battery-powered TV, battery-powered fridge, charge up their, their phone. Turns out that none of these people have a bank account. So how are they going to get them to pay for it? They, they, they earn less than $2 a day. They mm-hmm. can't get a bank account, so they have no credit history. So why would you sell to someone who's not going to pay you? So what they do is they use mobile money. It's, a system, it's in Kenya, a system called M-Pesa, mobile money through the phone. And it's basically the old uh, higher purchase or buying on the never-never, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> they rent they rent the device they pay two dollars a day and if they, they pay sorry a fraction of their two dollars a day a few cents if they don't keep up the payments the device is remotely turned off if they do keep up the payments they can buy more things so they can buy the devices that connect to the battery mm. so actually 
and uh, and I recently did a podcast with it with uh, Nick Hughes, who founded this company. They have a million customers in Africa, and he, he, what they're doing is they they actually now he said I'm not a, a solar powered company. I'm a bank. <laughs> I actually have. I'm actually providing. I have credit history, and I'm banking facilities for a million people. Who, who previously wow. you've not been able to do it. And the benefits for those people is they are now, a million people right now, as we speak, have access to a fridge, a, uh, a food mixing device, a light, so kids can do their homework uh, in the evening. And they are making money by charging the other villagers, the other people in the village, access to their devices. So they're setting themselves up in business and all the payment is done through a phone because as you'll be aware, Stuart, there's tons mm -hmm. of these, all these old Nokia phones that we threw away to upgrade for our nice smartphones. They're all in Africa. Everyone's got one. Exactly. So there's a, there's a great example of talk about doing good for the world. I think that's pretty cool that a million people can uh, can, can share what we're, we, we, we get to enjoy every day. Now, Nick, just for our listeners' sake, I want to, to talk a bit about yourself as well, because oh. it's, it's a... It's a crazily varied and, and deep <laughs> background that you've got. Um, now, I, I must admit, I'm primarily going from looking at your LinkedIn page, which I see yeah, yeah, yeah. as that you were a computer science first-class honours graduate at the University of oh, Liverpool. Dear. And no, don't want to give you too much away here age-wise, but 1979. So I know. What's, what's I amazing? was very young. I was, it was just very unusual to go to, to, go to university at age four, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. I. I. I'm experienced. Uh, I think that's what you're diplomatically trying to say, Stuart. Very much so. No, but it's not just that. It's, it's the variety in there. But what interests me primarily is we've seen the technological revolution. You've been very much there since yeah, the yeah. start of it hitting that's that right. exponential curve. That's so, right. what I would ask you is. When you graduated in 1979 with your mortarboard on your head, did you see the world being where it is now no, in no. 2021? No, 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 of course not. It's, 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 it's completely rhetorical. But listen, I've, I've been very lucky, let me just say that. So uh, <laughs> brief history, uh, just because some users will be thinking, well, what has this guy done? Look, I went to university <laughs> in Liverpool um, when it wasn't called computing, it was called computation, computational and statistical science. It was basically solving maths problems. I did a maths degree and right. I used computers to solve the problem. And, and about two years later, they said, oh, actually, this is a subject in its own right. And it was called computing. <laughs> All right. So I, 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 I became a programmer and um, yeah, potted history. I, I, got to, I got a job in a merchant bank. I was in a meeting once and I was in there with the um, uh, two companies. And uh, I found myself in this boardroom. Uh, there's a company trying to buy another company and a company trying to negotiate the price to be bought. And they couldn't agree. They were like, I think your company's worth 200 million. I think your company's worth 500 million. And I'm the, I'm the first computer guy they'd ever had. And I wrote a financial model on time sharing. That's what cloud used to be called. <laughs> no, cloud used to be called. Geisco time sharing, Mark IV time sharing, teletypes. Uh, I, I wrote a program that valued 10 years discount cash flow. Mm -hmm. So they could they were they were two three hundred million dollars apart. So they turned to me and said, "Well, let's let's ask our financial modeler what the, what the computer says." And all eyes turned to me, and I thought, "Oh God!" So I said, "Well, the model says this company's worth three hundred and forty-two million, whatever, whatever." Mm -hmm. So everyone there was this silence. Everybody said, "Well, he's got more data than we've got." So okay, that's the deal. 
and, yeah, and I thought, well, if I'd have if I'd have actually put a different parameter in 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 this field here, mm -hmm. I'd have been forty million pounds different. And the point about it was that you suddenly realise this technology is very interesting from two points of view: a, it can calculate quickly, but b, it can change things. So, I went from there to Hewlett Packard, very brief. Ended up uh, running marketing globally for Hewlett Packard. Ran the internet globally uh, for the company out of Silicon Valley. Ran a small VC fund. What was uh, it like being there? Like because obviously you were there at a very interesting time. I was there during the whole dot com uh, thing. Yeah. Absolutely, it was absolutely crazy. People were, um, everyone was making money hand over foot. I worked with a big boring company, HP, that just carried on plodding away. <laughs> but. Um, it was one of the most exciting times in my life. And when I coach and mentor people, I say, oh, if you ever have a chance, just do it. Just do it. What I learned there and what I saw, uh, it is the center of this industry, and it, it still is. And it was amazing. Now, an awful lot of people lost, lost an awful lot of money, but mm -hmm. the innovation that is still there, I go there regularly, is, is fantastic. Then I went and did a couple of startups. Um, so I went from the big company to uh, two small companies. So, so went... this, is, this is an interesting point, though, yeah. because you have obviously gone from sort of, let's say, the, small, the, the, the auspices, yeah. The, yeah. the sort of great bosom of, of and, and protective sort of shell of, of working for a big company. And then you've you've thought, right, do you know what? No, I'm going to actually use the knowledge that I've acquired, yeah. any sort of ingen ingenuity there, to, to try and go and do your own thing. What caused... Yes. that spark of change yeah. within yourself yeah. to want yeah. to go your own way. Why on earth did I do such a crazy thing from going from being able it's to quite get... brave. Like, it's it quite is. brave. To do <laughs> brave that. is always a word people use for it can mean two things. Yeah, why did I go from being able to uh, uh, get a ride on the corporate jet to working in a startup and having to go to, to uh, Tesco's for a sandwich at lunchtime? Yeah, okay. Look, I, I've done two cross-company transformation projects that... that I also did the same thing at Cisco. I ended up running the cloud program globally for Cisco. Um, so reporting to uh, John Chambers um, and uh, a, a bunch of the execs at the, the top level. Mm -hmm. It comes back to my character, I, and it's kind of linked to what I'm doing now. I, um, for whatever reason, have always thought, yes, I know how it works today. I get it. But actually, it could work like this tomorrow. And so I've always been the guy who says, yes, but in three years time, it's not going to look like this. It's going to look like that. So why don't we actually start moving now? And for whatever reason, um, and so I've always wanted to drive change, whether it's driving change in, in my current company, SI, or whether it's HP, you're getting your butt kicked by Sun because they're the dot in dot com with Spark Solaris. We need to get an internet strategy. And Carly Fiorina said, yes, I've been hired to do that. If you, you talk so much about it, Congratulations! You just talked yourself into it, <laughs> or or it's or it's Cisco where it had fifty billion dollars of sales with hardware, the highest percentage of hardware sales of any company in IT, and suddenly cloud comes along and the box is irrelevant, <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, congratulations, you're the cloud guy. It, it, I guess you'd call me a rebel. Um, <laughs> one company they voted me um, CRN, Computer Reseller News voted me the second most disruptive person in IT globally. And I was really pissed off because there was someone who beat me. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And if you want more, 
You can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. So uh, let's just pick out a couple of bits of your background. Um, I mean, you mentioned a few of them there. One of the more recent ones was working on Virgin Hyperloop One, where you were the SVP of Global Field Operations. Talk to us about that, because that's a hugely exciting <laughs> project. Oh, boy. So I left Cisco, I uh, say, around the cloud program, and I was thinking, what do I do next? Um, and uh, actually, one of my bosses in Cisco had become CEO. Uh, he was president of Cisco, um, and uh, he became CEO of Hyperloop, and I had met with him, and he said, why don't you come out and see what we're doing? And I went out, went out to the desert, and I saw a Hyperloop just north of Las Vegas, and, you know, pods inside tubes take the air out. They go really quick. And I looked at it and thought, God, this is weird. This is and suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly a light went on, and I thought, this is a physical version of the Internet. So just bear with me. The internet is a series of digital packets, each with an IP address that gets routed, yeah. you know, it gets routed to a different destination. Every packet goes direct to destination, and then mm-hmm. the packets, then the packets get back together again. Yep. The hyperloop is a series of pack- physical packets called pods mm-hmm. that go down not fiber but tubes, each mm-hmm. with its own address. So every every pod, passenger pod, goes direct to destination. So today's train which is steel wheels on steel rails with all the carriages connected together, invented in the 1820s, is still mm-hmm. the model today. If I go from London to Edinburgh and there's eight stops, the tr- I have to stop because people want to get on or off at the intermediate stops, even though I'm going direct to the destination. Yeah. I'm going to the destination. So Hyperloop is like packetized transport for physical objects. And so I plunged in and said, this is going to happen one day. I want to be a part of it. That's cool. Uh, do you know what? Of all the metaphors that I've heard to define um, something technological and or innovative in that in that sort of sense, that's one of the best. So I'm I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a credit there. Did I pass? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what was what was your kind of direct involvement with that? What did you do during your time? Um, yeah. So my job was um, basically to I was chief salesman. All right. Mm-hmm. I, it's just that the things I sold cost $8 billion each. It's a bit like selling an aircraft carrier when people didn't know what one was. So I went round. I, I, hey, listen, I failed at a whole bunch of things. I mean, I failed to convince the UK government to ditch HS2 uh, because mm-hmm. I, I, I described it as the, you know, the most expensive legacy project, uh, you know, is, is, uh, if George Stevenson, who invented the train, Stevenson's rocket, you know, came back to life and saw HS2, he'd say, oh, that's a train. Um, so, um, uh, but I did have success in India. I signed the contract for the world's first hyperloop with the uh, governor of uh, Maharashtra state in India for the Mumbai Pune link, which takes three. I don't know if you or listeners have been, if, if you go between Mumbai and Pune, uh, it takes three hours each way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, millions of people in millions of passenger journeys are done there and back every year. Uh, and uh, a Hyperloop would turn that down to 25 minutes. In fact, I gave the, the first TED talk on Hyperloop. Which yes. Is out there. 
and um, and it can be done in 25 minutes. Well, if if six hours becomes uh, an hour, you talk about giving back and doing good. Mm-hmm. What this isn't just about getting from A to B quickly. This is about giving five hours back to millions of people in their okay. day, so mothers can get home to see kids, so people um, can um, they see kids before they go to bed. It's so people can actually um, uh, uh, work longer and earn more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the productivity of, of that region will go up because productivity is directly um, tied up to uh, transport efficiency. Look at London. London has grown and grown as the tube has grown. Yeah. There's a direct correlation uh, between um, uh, that. And so it will happen. Um, it will take many years. Uh, I got the first contract and then they said, you know what, we can only implement one at a time, so don't do another one for a few years. And I thought, well, I'm not the sort of guy, as you pointed out, to sit around. Uh, and so um, I thought, what am I going to do next? And uh, that's how I ended up here. No, that, that, that that's interesting. I, I think one of the things that's sort of sticking out to me here, that, well, a couple of things, actually. One is just how global your, your sort of whole career has been. I mean, you've yeah. had foots in, in so many different parts of the world and affected positive change, which which must be very rewarding and, and quite uh-huh. empowering as well in, in terms of looking forward. And the second thing for me is, I'm just wondering, particularly with the, the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic, mm. obviously that's had such an effect both positive in some areas and negative in others obviously overall it's a negative that mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're going yeah. through enduring kind of a global hard, pandemic is positive yeah. yeah 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 but 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 what i mean is in some areas that has accelerated innovation so my question to to, to you then is um within the iot sector specifically what effect do you think the coronavirus pandemic okay. has had all right so this is um Look, if you look back over uh, what is 40 years uh, of, um, that I've got personal history of, mm-hmm. I would contend that uh, innovation always happens in downturns. It's statistically proven. You know, the racing, the Formula One analogy is you don't overtake on the straights, you overtake in the corners. Mm-hmm. And in IT... They, they, they actually at, ruined that with a new rule and a new button in the car. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's another subject. All right, but what actually, if, if you actually look at the the, the leaders that, that, that of, of uh, I think McKinsey or somebody did a study on this, if you look at the big companies that are the leaders now, and you look, you map back to what year they were formed, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about IT companies, mm-hmm. there's something like an eighty percent correlation to that they were formed in a downturn. There were a lot of companies formed in the banking crisis of two thousand and seven. There was a lot of companies yep. that were formed in the dot com crisis of two thousand and one. What we're seeing now, and it's particularly for IoT, because IoT collapses the supply chain, Costa have coffee shops, but they're competing with Starbucks with a low cost model where somebody else pays for the um, uh, space, somebody else puts the coffee beans in, somebody else puts the, the milk in, and they just, it's a franchise model. They take the fee. So, so uh, they are disintermediating a supply chain and, 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 and um, are going direct to the consumer, which means that they have business efficiencies. What mm-hmm. happens in a downturn is the pressure to deliver those business efficiencies increases dramatically. Yeah, because absolutely. because your your balance sheet is under huge pressure. Now, companies react in that two ways: they either embrace it and say this is an opportunity, let's disrupt, or they sit there and say let's just ride this out. And and another trend that's been proven is the the it's the eight, eight out of ten leading companies 
in every industry vertical sector don't make major technology transitions. And mm. I believe that's what's happening now in IoT is that uh, the problem is change is inherently invisible while it's happening. You yeah, can't see it. You can't see it because it's it's like the grains of sand on the chessboard. One, two, four, eight. Oh, there's only a little bit of sand. By the time you get to square 32, you got the Sahara Desert, right? So, so what's happening in a downturn is that new innovative business models in multiple sectors, I've used a couple, well, three in this, are happening and they're being implemented right now. We're lucky enough because we get involved in them in the early days. But they are dis people are, aren't just doing IoT for the sake of having a smart device. They are disrupting industries. Mm -hmm. And and this is um, what happened in 1997 when we, we thought the internet was all about HTML, Mosaic. Yeah. And suddenly we thought, oh, crap. It, 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 it's actually about the fact that, you know, Blockbuster won't exist very quickly. And, you know, we hadn't heard of Netflix. You know, we haven't, I met, um, uh, I met Jeff Bezos in 99. I was lucky mm -hmm. enough, I, I rode with, on a plane with him in, uh, just because of my HP days. I got to ride for five hours between San Francisco and Teterboro, New York, on a plane with Jeff Bezos, one-on-one. -on -one. Amazing opportunity. Just, yeah, just crazy. And I asked him a question. I said, I didn't know what to talk about. I was really thought, God, it's Jeff Bezos. I don't want to talk about it. And I, I had a few attempts and thought, this isn't going to work. And then I just threw him one question. I said, Jeff, what's next for Amazon? And he lit up. Because he, what does he love talking about? What's next for Amazon? And of course, yeah. character, you know. Uh, and he said, we're going to be the biggest retailer in the world. Now, Stuart, I swear to God, 1990, February 1999, because I yep. know what conference I was going to. He said, this is eight years before the iPhone. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm going to be the biggest retailer in the world. I went, uh, yeah, you mean um, books? Because that's what I thought he was. Yeah. He went, Don't be stupid. Uh, digital books. No. Uh, music, no, uh, everything digital. Nobody, if you know Jeff Bezos, he waves his arms. He's got this hyena type laugh. I swear to God, Jeff Bezos said in February 1999, no, everything. I yep. mean, what do you mean everything? He said, everything that is in today's stores, we, we will sell. We will be the biggest retailer on planet Earth. And I thought, you are a screwball. <laughs> no chance. No chance. And of course, there were, I knew that I thought if I'd have just asked him the next question, like, Jeff, can you explain to me? I'd have sunk my savings into Amazon and, and I would be, uh, well, I'd probably still be doing something because I'm a disruptive person. I love yeah, the industry. That's it. You're, you're a rebel. I, uh, but I wish I understood what he said um, uh, because that's the potential that technology can do. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology, and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership, and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com. How can we how can we pull what we are doing and, and bring it together to to affect positive change on a mass scale? Innovation typically starts off with venture-funded companies and then spreads to larger organizations. And I talked about how long it takes. Because my I had tw twice I had jobs with $50 billion corporations where you're the guy who's got an opinion, you go off and help change our company. What you just described is how do nations change? Yes. And yes, right? Now, that's, as I found out with trying to sell Hyperloop and failing, 
to everyone, uh, you know, why did the India, you know, do you know what the minister of um, uh, uh, the state in India that signed the contract uh, said to me? He said to me, uh, Mr. Early said, India will implement the Hyperloop before the UK mm-hmm. because um, uh, we, we actually like disruptive technology. We like leapfrogging, whereas you're, you are just going to continue doing what you're doing. So the answer, it's not, there's no easy answer to the question you, ha- you said. There are case studies like MCOPA, and there are several others. But the real frustration I think we all have is that it's very difficult for there to be a national initiative uh, regarding, uh, in this case, IoT. Government typically tends to let the um, uh, innovation happen in the private sector. The one caveat I would say on that is um, I spend a lot of time in the Middle East. In the Middle East, in fact, it's just a coincidence. I've already, I've had today a conversation at government level in the Middle East. I can't say who. No, that's fine. Their vision on the future of their country and what it could become enabled by technology is light years beyond a vision, sorry, excuse me, a conversation that you'd have in established markets. And I know there are individuals in, 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 in governments, in established markets, but what there doesn't appear to be is the unified joined up vision. Now, Germany is different. Germany has got in, um, Industry 4.0. I would say Germany has got a unified vision and, and, mm-hmm. and, and they have the companies that make the products. So I think Germany is going to do very well out of this. But in general, I think governments um, often abrogate their responsibility for innovation um, to happen within the private sector, or the venture sector, the startup sector. But what is happening is that there is a balance uh, shift in the balance of power because the the uh, the uh, competitive advantage of nations based on physical size and traditional um, uh, capabilities is being eroded by every process becoming digital. And and what um, some very innovative countries are doing is looking ahead and saying this is what the world is going to look like. And I think you are seeing a a distribution a redistribution of the pecking order happening. Um, and that distribution takes 10 or more years. So commentators tend to look at this quarter's GDP. Yeah, exactly. But they're looking for, it's, that's right. They're, they're, it's like staring at the dashboard rather than looking out of the window yeah. at the car. Yeah, no, yeah, know. that's a great analogy. Absolutely yeah, that, is that. It is absolutely changing. It's not going to completely turn everything upside down but if we could you know swallow a pill and 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 and, and zoom forward 50 years and and uh, have the same conversation <laughs> i wish uh but if we could do that i think we would look back and say you know what wasn't it interesting what happened i suppose finally it, it would be nice just to attend on something a bit more personal for yourself which yeah. is you're obviously at SI right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that your faith is that you guys are on the right track and doing something that's sure. really powerful and, and changing the world. Yes. But what I would ask you is, without in any way trying to disenfranchise or devalue that, do you see yourself in the IoT space ad infinitum, or do you see yourself potentially being sort of thrust in another direction depending on what presents itself? I've never been able to predict my next move. <laughs> Uh, I had no idea I would do any of the jobs I've done. I, I honestly, I was just a kid from Liverpool who was lucky. He went to a comprehensive where they got a computer, and he he, he liked maths and and then 
whoa, let's, there's a door, let's walk through it. Um, the one thing I think, sure, you should, you know, my wife gives much give a much better answer to this because she says, look, you know, I don't, want, I don't want you at home all the time. This lockdown's driving her crazy. You've got to keep on working. So I will keep on working. I think there'll be life after SI, some other buyers. Um, uh, and then there'll be another chapter and there could be another chapter after that. But the common thing is it will be around the effect of, this is a great podcast for me. To, I really congratulate you for the subject that you're, doing with your podcast this is a subject which which is hugely important and and we need more people talking about this yeah on a personal level i'm sure as i get um a little bit older i still feel like a spring chicken but i have to recognize the reality but as sure as i get uh, older i will go into roles that perhaps might get me more involved in what we've been talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't always um uh, want to be the guy at the helm you know the ceo but, but um, I yes, I I think it'll be along the theme of disruption. Disruption never stops. Uh, the opportunity keeps on getting bigger, and we're only bounded by our limitations of what we think is possible. You know, if Jeff Bezos could say, "I'm going to be the largest retailer in the world," eight years before the iPhone and the and everything that we know today, it just tells you that we have no idea what's about to happen. And so to, to say that you do, you're a liar. But to actually say, I want to give a go at influencing it is probably the most exciting thing that, that we can do and anybody else can do. And so long as I can keep upright and, and, and uh, keep trying to do this, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll find it impossible ever to stop. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.